Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The season is off with Jamie Wincup making a statement. Very happy with two from two. We're, um, we've got a lot of confidence going into Bahrain because it is a similar track to Abu Dhabi and we had awesome success there last year. Paul Morris says the drivers should police themselves. Shit sometimes goes wrong and uh, nothing's always fair. There's swings and roundabouts and it all works itself out, man. And Shane Van Ginsbergen finds car speed in the Middle East. But, um, you know, we kept it straight. We rubbed the panels a couple of times, but nothing major. We just, you know, kept the heads down. But, of course, it makes the preparation so much easier for next week. It's all coming up today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Jamie Wincup has blitzed the field to take out the first two races of the season. Expected to go well. We carry good confidence into every weekend, but to uh, to, to get a pole position and uh, two race wins is, is a great feeling. Wincup was unstoppable and paid tribute to the Triple Eight team, who did so much work to prepare their Holdens for season 2010. Amazing feeling. Just huge reward for the guys that uh, that have worked, so guys and girls who have worked really hard. Mark Winterbottom's consistency has seen him second in points after the first two races. Frosty happy with his season start. A second's a good result, you know, with the, the improvements we're making and um, the way the car is. I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we've done this weekend and um, car straight, which is important too. We've got a race in a week, so that was that was a goal, get points, try and improve the car and go to Bahrain and have a, have a harder go. Craig Lowndes completed race one with a 1-2 finish for Team Vodafone, backing it up on Saturday night with a fifth place. Um, you know, as Jamie said, the track's been sensational, the grip level's there and the cars have worked really well, so yeah, we're, we're ecstatic. You know, obviously we're not worried about other people at the moment, we're just worried about getting our cars right. Shane Van Ginsbergen was also very quick and consistent over the weekend. He told the V8 Insiders of the pressure that he faced last season, carrying the hopes of the Ford fans. The car speed wasn't quite there. I made some mistakes and, you know, the guys made mistakes too. But, um, you know, we just worked at it, kept doing what we're doing and it's all starting to come together now. And, um, you know, we finally cracked it and hopefully that, uh, you know, it keeps on coming in. Rick Kelly was thrilled with fourth place on Saturday, telling the V8 Insiders that the team is primed for a great season after the turnaround of their form across the weekend. The whole team's um, rhythm all weekend was fantastic. Um, pit stops, everything went really well. And, uh, you, you know, a solid result like we had today, we can, we can certainly build on that as far as the championship goes and also moving to Bahrain. So overall, I think we should be pretty happy with a reasonably solid result. So to the points after two races, Jamie Wincup is on 300, Mark Winterbottom on 267, Craig Lowndes on 249, Shane Van Gisbergen is on 231, with James Courtney on 222. That rounds out the top five, six to ten, Lee Holsworth on 207, Rick Kelly on 198, 
Paul Dumbrell on 165. Stephen Johnson, after a 10-point penalty, has on 152 points, whilst Jonathan Webb is on 141. The team's championship, well, Team Vodafone on 549 points, leads Jim Beam Racing on 384. FPR is on 378, with Fujitsu Racing, that's Gary Rogers Motorsport, and Stone Brothers Racing, both tied in fourth position on 339 points. How bad was HRT's weekend? They are sitting in 15th position in the team's championship with only 90 points. There are four single-car teams ahead of them on the standings. But the Walkinshaw guys said, don't give up on us just yet. As I said, it's a weekend we're glad to put behind us and, uh, you know, refocus and go to Bahrain now and, and, uh, and dig deep and try and get some good points on the board. Yeah, we've got, we've got a point to prove after this weekend. Paul Morris has continued his call for the V8 supercars need to get more rubbing into the racing. Following his one-off comeback at Abu Dhabi this weekend, he told the V8 insiders that the Australian regulators are tougher than anyone else in the world. Two cars trying to go through a corner together and one bloke doesn't give you enough room, he's bound to get hit. So it's just what happens. It happens in any motorsport except over here we just want to make a big deal over it. I think they should just let the drivers race and we don't need those sort of people telling us what to do. Morris was also outspoken about the driving of Todd Kelly, who was involved in multiple incidents across the weekend. Todd Kelly actually hit me, so that's why I look at it. And you know, The good thing about it, I wasn't in the race today, hit that many people again, so I was probably going to be one of them. Yes, Marina's Circuit's Chief Operating Officer, Richard Cragen, has told Big Pond Sports that they rate the V8 supercars only below Formula One. Increasing tourism into the Abu Dhabi economy is seen to be a critical part of the country weaning itself off oil money. And Cragen says building a motorsport culture is one piece of the plan and having the V8 supercars along is an important building block for them. 12,340 people attended the event across the weekend. The crowd certainly noticed by defending champion Jamie Winkup. You know, the front straight had a good thousand people in it and going down the back straight, they almost almost filled the stand down the, down the back. So um, it just had a great feel. There were, uh, there were people up off their seats on that last lap. It was um, fantastic. Race suits don't normally get much attention on the weekend. But a number of teams found that the new race suits did not match up to the FIA requirements, which forced them to switch to older suits. Whilst their supplier was forced to get new suits manufactured, which they will hand deliver to the teams next weekend. So now it's off to Bahrain, and with the new configuration, it's like another new track. What are the drivers doing to get themselves ready for what should be another great event? Oh, I've hammered it on the PlayStation, so I know it pretty um, pretty good. So that's uh, different. It's going to be different. Um, but it's good that we're using the best part of what Bahrain can offer. We've missed that double left. I think it's going to be a really good corner for our cars. Um, and that high-speed corners before it is going to be pretty cool as well. So I think we've, we've been deprived of what that track can give, and um, it's pretty exciting to go there and use the, the whole thing. Yeah, I'll mirror that. Um, you know, the, the track's going to completely change because, uh, as Mark said, th- that section over the back, which we never used to drive on, is is pretty much the, the crazy part of the circuit. So, um, yeah, hey, for un- you know, unintelligent drivers trying to learn this track and that track in, all in a week is hard work. Yeah, it's the same as what they said. It's, it's a pretty, it looks like a pretty cool piece of road there. It's 
reasonably high speed, which which will suit our car. But um, you know, Bahrain always it's like racing Formula Ford. You're three or four wide down the straight, and it's always awesome fun there. So I'm looking forward to that. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. There's plenty more coming up after the break. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us from Bahrain it is from V8X Magazine, Briar Gunther, and from Auto Action. It's Mark Fogarty. Good evening to both of you. Hi, Craig. Evening, Craig. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, folks. And uh, what a interesting weekend the S400 was. The racing under lights certainly looks spectacular on the Channel 7 coverage. And you should have seen it live. It was spectacular. The V8s come up an absolute treat under the lights. And uh, in that spectacular uh, venue... The Yas Marina circuit, almost unbelievably spectacular. The cars did look very, very good. It's a pity the racing wasn't quite up to the spectacle. They were glowing and shining, but it wasn't exactly, you know, fight to the de- fight to the death racing. But well, after all, it is a Formula One circuit, and the uh, the V8s tend to struggle a bit around Formula One circuits. Bryce, some of the teams really put some effort into their cars for this race. Yeah, that's right. One that comes to mind is Jack Daniels Racing. Obviously, they had to run the Jack Lives Here uh, thing across the the side of the car just because of the alcohol restrictions in the Middle East. But they've done it in this reflective uh, vinyl, and it came up a treat. It, it looked really good when the sun was uh, the lights were shining on on it at the right spot. Now, I don't know which is the biggest story, folks. Was it HRT's woes, or was it uh, the triumph of Triple Eight? A tough call, but. I'd probably lean towards uh, the complete, almost utter collapse of HRT. It couldn't have been a worse weekend if they tried. I mean, it wasn't, you know, all their fault. Events conspired against them, you know, once one thing goes wrong. It just sets up a snowball effect, it seems. Um, Garth Tander had plenty of speed. That was clear to see. Um, He should have been um, up there and giving Jamie Wincup... A lot more trouble than he did, but to come out of that uh, opening event of the season with so few points really was a setback that they weren't expecting. And uh, I can't imagine that the big boss, Tom Walkinshaw, was very pleased. I think he'll be uh, giving them a good talking to when he turns up um, at Bahrain this weekend, which uh, apparently he is going to be there. Well, Briar, what was the biggest story for you? HRT's woes or Triple H's triumph? 
I would go the other way and say it was Triple H triumph. I mean, what they did on the weekend was just nothing short of spectacular. With an almost perfect weekend for Jamie Winkup. I mean, getting pole for the first race, then winning both of them. Obviously, as folks did say, HRT's woes did play into the hands of Triple H and also uh, Ford Performance Racing's little glitches as well. Uh, that obviously elevated Jamie Winkup to, to both wins, but... I mean, yeah, just the way that Vodafone came out with those brand-new Commodores, they didn't have very good test sessions either uh, earlier in the year. But, um, you know, they've come out and, and they've shown that they're, they're just as good in a Commodore as they are in a Falcon. Well, I guess well, what's... Why are we so surprised that Triple Eight Race Engineering came out and were immediately competitive? I, I've been scratching my head about this, you know, for, for some weeks. I mean, they're, they're the crack operation in V8 supercars and... Um, the reaction to them winning, I mean, you know, it's almost like it was some sort of miracle. But I think it would have been even more surprising had they not been on the pace. It's a, yeah, just look, the amount of work, isn't it? It's the amount of work that goes into changing over. Even though they keep saying that the parts are all the same, it's it's not exactly the same. And uh, I guess the question is, why did HRT win at Clipsal after they built the VE, or and why was Triple Eight so good after they built the B? Uh, the the current the previous Falcon the uh, FG maybe it's all that extra attention you've got to put into it makes you ready. Well, they're both the but best. Even a lot of they're the top two teams, you know, and that's why they're up there. Sorry, Brian. No, you're right. I was going to say, but even a lot of the teams in pit lane were really surprised at how Triple Eight came out with this pace. You know, they really thought they'd be on the back foot uh, coming into the first round in a new car, and everyone was was very very surprised. Mm. Well, it's a, it was a dominating performance. Race one, a one-two finish in their first race with Holden. They couldn't have asked for a better start. Holden couldn't have asked them to start any better. But uh, it, it is interesting to see that um, you mentioned FPR before, Briar, and I'd like to get your opinion, folks, because FPR had once again a mixed bag. They had Frosty at the front and Stephen having some problems there, and uh, interestingly, the forums have gone wild with they need to get Moff into the car as soon as possible, and uh, it's uh, amazing how many fans are wanting to dump Stephen Richards. I can well imagine, you know, to say that um, he's under pressure, that he's driving for his job this season um, is a <laughs> an understatement, to say the least. It was a, a solid start from FPR. Um, they had pace, um, outright speed anyway, not so sure over race distance whether they were ever going to um, take the fight right up to triple eight but it could have been closer but um, you know two start line snafus for frosty didn't help the first one in the first race not putting his car in the the grid box properly that's a pretty um, elementary mistake um, and then uh, fluffing the start in the second so you know in theory he should have been right up there but for them it was important or for frosty anyway it was important to get a solid start because it's traditionally been that team's Weakness, and it was a horror weekend for Richo. It just started badly and just didn't get any better. But I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on there because that's just been the way it's been for Richo for at least, you know, the last 12 months or so. Mm. Well, of course, uh, Jim Beam Racing, Dick Johnson Racing, both those three car, oh, sorry, both, both the Jim Beam cars and the Web car making it to, I think, top 10 overall across the weekend. And they really were the most consistent of the. Uh, bigger teams if you like well they're second in the points aren't they to uh team vodafone so um that's also a a, a solid you know at least an a minus start for um 
the uh, the whole Dick Johnson Racing um, trio, and I thought it was an outstanding um, main game, full-time main de- game debut for Jonathan Webb, the reigning Fujitsu champion. I thought it was an, ex- in fact, it was an extraordinary start. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't know Jonathan Webb had it in him, and you know, I'm, I'm not meaning that as a slight, but um, he just um, hit the ground running, and um, if he's going to keep up this sort of form. Um, all season, um, it'll be quite staggering because, you know, we're not used to Fujitsu champions, or the most of them anyway, uh, being so competitive from the outset, but um, you know, Mark Winterbottom's probably the only one who's really fulfilled that sort of potential, um, so, you know he was the one, Jonathan Webb who really stood out to me, obviously he's got a good car, it's one of the Triple Eight uh, cars from last year, but still, top effort, I thought and, Brian, you were even more uh, amazed at the effort because uh, his health was not good. Yeah. Well, John was battling tonsillitis the whole weekend. He was even on a drip for the uh, the second race. So, you know, to come out like that in his first main game drive, uh, full-time, that is, and just do so well. I mean, look, his results even were enough to scrape him in the top ten for the championship. So it would be great to see him being able to keep up these results and, um, and really fly the forward flag. Well, as I mentioned at the top, you're both in Bahrain. After the break, we'll preview the Bahrain round. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders from Auto Action. It's Mark Fogarty. And from V8X Magazine, which will be out very soon, Briar Gunther, both of you are in Bahrain for the second event of the Championships Race 4 and Five. And I guess one of the things that surprised a lot of us journos back here, and, well, I think all of us, in fact, is the uh, lack of fanfare that was made with the V8s returning to Fox Sports in Australia. And uh, I reckon there was, you know, a few different reasons, but uh, it was very low-key that uh, V8s are back with a, uh, a replay on Fox Sports, folks. Well, yeah, so surprising that until you mentioned it, I didn't even know about it. Um, that's been a very well-kept secret. Um, tell me more. Well, I thought I'd missed the press release myself, but uh, after the NASCAR race, there were the two races from Abu Dhabi. And, Briar, I know you get all the press releases just like folks and I do, and you can't recall seeing one either. Oh, absolutely. I definitely know that, that not one press release about this has gone out yet. And I think it's got something to do with the uh, the V8 Supercars commitment with Channel 7 and, and the deal they've got going on there. So I think that's the reason why they've kept it pretty low-key, which is a shame because I'm sure there's plenty of diehard V8 fans out there who already have Fox Sports on their Foxtel and, um, you know, would just like to be given a heads-up that they can actually watch some replays. Yeah, and certainly Fox Foxtel IQ is a, a very simple way of recording things these days. I, I'm sure you have no doubts about that. So is TiVo. <laughs> Go on, folks. Yeah. Hey, uh, I also, yeah, well, you know, that's what I use. Great little device. I, 
I threw my Foxtel in the bin a few months ago. I was over it. Uh, okay. um, I'm also told that the TV ratings weren't stunning on the replays, um, or the delayed, as you know, the delayed telecasts on Saturday and Sunday. My mail is that, um, in fact, they were very poor. No surprise there. People want to watch the, um, sporting events live, and it's just not conducive at the time of night they were racing in Abu Dhabi. It's not conducive to uh, live television back to Australia. From what from what I understand, the uh, the 2020 cricket actually outrated the uh, the V8s over the time when that was all screening. So, yeah, not a good start. Uh, but as you said, I mean, you know, it's not at a different time. There's probably a lot of fans who would, you know, put aside a, a Sunday Arvo or whatever to watch the V8s. And when it's on at a different time, they've got other commitments, so they're just not watching it. And who knows? Maybe some of them were uh, watching the replay on Fox Sports a bit later. Be interesting with no advertising to see what that Fox Sport. Uh turn-up was. Guys, I guess the uh, the interesting thing is about two years ago when we had that ridiculously early Clipsal, it was up against cricket and cricket smashed it on the television. And we said at the time, if their supercars think they're, they're going to move to summer, they're going to have that cricket problem. And it looks like, uh, once again, when it's motor racing and cricket, cricket wins. Well, it God seems in why. this... Um, <laughs> Well, the, the, <laughs> if it had been a, you know, one of the recent test matches, it prob- the VAs probably would have won because, um, as we know, Nines had um, pretty low viewing figures on some of the uh, um, recent test matches <coughs> of, the, excuse me, of the summer season, um, not to mention some pretty poor crowds. In fact, <laughs> the Abu Dhabi crowd, didn't it, um, probably pretty much beat what they had in one of the matches over in Adelaide where there were only 8,000 people turned up. But 2020 is the big go in um, in cricket at the moment, so I'm, I'm kind of not surprised that it um, got more viewers than the VAs. I know we're supposed to be previewing Bahrain right now, but I was just amazed. 12,000 and uh, a few people turning up at the event. Jamie Wincup said to us that he could tell there was a good crowd there in certain grandstands where they'd focused the crowd. And... Um, I really have to say that it sounds like uh, more people in Abu Dhabi were ready for the V8s than what we've seen over the last few years at Bahrain. Yeah, well, look, there was definitely more than, than what you'd see on TV. I haven't done Bahrain yet um, live, so from what I've seen on TV in the past, yeah, I definitely have to say there was more of a crowd in Abu Dhabi. But it's also location. I mean, Bahrain's an island. People, you know, probably aren't as willing to get on a plane and come out for V8s, but with it being held in Abu Dhabi, like I spoke to quite a few fans and some had come from Sharjah, they'd come from Dubai, they'd come from, you know, all over that area in the United Arab Emirates, um, knowing that there was a V8 race on to, to come and watch it because obviously they haven't been able to, to see one um, since they've been over over there or over here as um, as expats. Folks, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's true. Just um, they're able to pull on a a larger expat crowd for a start. There are a lot more, many more expats in uh, in that area in Abu Dhabi and just up the road, about an hour up the road in, in Dubai. Um, and the crowd certainly was noticeably, visibly bigger than what we ever have got on the last three occasions in Bahrain. Um, so the 12,340 that they claimed over the two days, mm, probably a little exaggerated, but it's not too far off um, reality I don't think um, and you've got to remember that that includes officials um, competitors you know, and all the support staff around the facility as well um, if that follows the usual form so 
it's probably not um, a true reflection of you know total number of paying spectators. But you know, for a new a new sport in a new venue in a foreign land, it was a very good turnout. And uh, as Brian said, you know, it's just it's easier to get there, and there are more people in, you know potentially interested than there are in Bahrain, which um, even though Abu Dhabi is actually an island as well, not that you'd ever know it, but it is, um, Bahrain is a much more isolated island. So it will be interesting to see if there are any more people at Bahrain this weekend. Um, unfortunately, I doubt it. But as we know, both for Abu Dhabi and all kicked off with Bahrain, are not so much about drawing big crowds. Um, they're about exposing these countries, Abu Dhabi and Bahrain, to the rest of the world. That's why both of them spent several hundreds of millions of dollars on these showcase motorsport complexes, is to promote Abu Dhabi. In the case of the V8s, they're particularly targeting Australia and New Zealand. And Bahrain started this off back in 2004 with the first Middle East Grand Prix. So you could pretty much say that crowds are the least consideration for the organisers of these events, although, of course, it should be a concern for V8 supercars because small crowds don't look good on the television and, you know, the fans back home are upset enough without turning on the television um, to see minuscule crowds when, when they would say, well, if you had the opening races or any races back here instead of overseas, you know, we'd be crowding in. Well, that's not true because if you go to Perth, how many Eastern States people go to Perth for the V8 round there? And uh, I think that's the thing we also have to keep our mind, uh, be mindful of, that there's a tyranny of distance in Australia. That tyranny isn't uh, necessarily any easier internationally, but there's still a local tyranny anyway. Yeah, but you get plenty of people turn up in Perth. Yep, well... They don't have trouble drawing a crowd at Barbagallo. No, well, and then that thing's been flung off the calendar. You know how ridiculous is that? Oh, well, don't get me started on that one. I don't want to get you started on that one because we have to talk about you guys being in the kingdom, and of course being in the home of the next CEO of the V8 Supercars with Bahrain, and I guess the new layout. How will that affect the racing, folks? Wish I knew. I fear it won't enhance the racing. I thought the racing in previous years at Bahrain was pretty damn good, you know, it's always action-packed, um, it's a big wide track, and um, unlike most Formula 1 circuits, um, it doesn't have a lot of off-camber corners, in fact, a lot of the corners, or several of them anyway on the old layout, um, are almost, you could say, you know, semi-banked, you know, banked. You have a slight bowl so that you talk to the driver, a bowl effect, and you talk to the drivers, they can actually crank the cars in there quite hard, and we used to see a lot of, you know, three-wide, even four-wide attempts in the corners, um, Going to the longer track will certainly, I'm sure, please the drivers. They'll love the layout, but whether it enhances the racing, I mean, you're going from, what, a 3.6-kilometre circuit to a 5-point-something-kilometre circuit, and um, i just got to say, a shorter circuit you know, normally produces more dramatic racing, but we'll have to wait and see, but that's just my concern, that the racing won't be as action-packed as it has been in the past here. Now, Briar, the drivers are certainly uh, keen... For the new layout, and they're talking up that the action will be even better. Yeah, well, they were saying, you know, the old track, the smaller track, they, they hated racing on it, didn't fit the cars. But I have to say, in 08, uh, the Bahrain, in terms of physical racing, was actually my favourite round out of the whole championship. It was just really, really good, and um, I'm not even going to say I fear like so. I'm going to, you know, take the point and say that it actually is going to negatively affect the racing. And it's just like what we saw at Abu Dhabi. I mean, you know, once the cars got away from each other, there was just no action. And it's just because of the way that these 
circuits are designed, um, and as Jason Richards pointed out to me, the circuits are also designed so that, you know, if there is a car that goes off, it doesn't hit anything, and therefore you don't need the safety car going around once again, which we did not see happen in Abu Dhabi. So the fear can't get bunched up that way. You can't get back to some really close racing. So I really think it is going to hurt it in terms of what the fans are watching on on TV. The drivers might love it, but, um, yeah, if it's anything like Abu Dhabi, the fans are going to be bitterly disappointed after some really great, great years of racing in Bahrain. Mm. Oh, Brian, not sitting on the fence there. No, but, uh, you no know, not whatsoever. I, 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 think, I, think, I think you're right, actually, and, you know, I have this, you know, rule, of, not a rule of thumb, it's actually just a rule, you know, I invariably say if the drivers think it's going to be great, I'm convinced that it's going to be rubbish for the spectators because the drivers always have a different perspective, you know, on what they want out of a circuit, you know, and what's good for them is invariably bad for the spectacle. So, um, okay, I'll modify my view. I don't fear it'll be worse. I reckon it will be worse racing. Guys, uh, do we have to have the compulsory Paul Morris rule? We need him in there just to create some uh, disasters. Yeah, bring him back. <laughs> no, I think the dude is done. He had his head going uh, Abu Dhabi and um, didn't look all that flash. I think um, he's going to be a lot happier just going behind the scenes again and running the team. And Murph's back. I saw him in, over breakfast this morning. He's just flown in. Um, very happy to be back. So um, he can take that pastoral carbon up to the neck and uh, see what he can do with it. Because um, and they need to do something because um, you know Russell Ingle didn't really figure. Um, they're obviously getting their head, still getting their heads around the new Triple Eight design. Um, Ingle's car, of course, built by Paul Morris Motorsport, but built to the design of uh, supplied by Triple Eight and using a lot of their components. But um, you know, certainly wasn't in the same league as uh, Jamie Wincup uh, nor Craig Lowndes. And, um, you know, the dude, um, well, he figured in a lot of um, incidents, as usual, but didn't really make an impression. So they're looking to Murph to grab that thing by the scruff of the neck. It's the old car, of course, the car that Russell raced last year, and uh, see if he can um, do some damage, although um, not literally, of course. Uh, on the scoreboard. Guys, I guess two races back-to-back like this double header. Is the current amount of equipment that their teams are allowed to take enough? Because you do have to tread very lightly when you're in Abu Dhabi to make sure you've still got enough bits for Bahrain. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that too much until you mentioned it. But, yeah, I guess it's got to be a consideration and uh, it possibly could um, explain some of the um, conservative racing that went on that they were worried about um, backing up a week later. But I think most of the teams have enough equipment on hand to handle you know something short of a you know a massive wreck but um yeah you're probably right i think it probably put is putting a strain on the resources but you know it is it is what it is these flyaways have become pretty efficient now they just sort of literally zoom in and zoom out um they've got it down to a fine art mm. but if you know you can only replace three fenders in a weekend it sort of limits your chances of um going hard in every race yeah, I'm not. Right. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing either. I mean, I'm sure that would have been in the back of everyone's minds as they, you know, hit the track at Abu Dhabi. It's just keep it clean, make sure that there's no real damage to the car. And as you said, even I mean, a couple of t- teams had to change over some splitters and stuff. So, you know, they're down in that respect heading into um, to Bahrain. So, I mean, look, they've got. You know, I guess enough equipment. Could they take more? Well, I mean, then you're talking about more dollars. So, I guess it's all about 
economy and things like that. All right, well, we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Gas and Go is up on the white flag lap. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Gas and go, three minutes with five hard-hitting questions. Briar Gunther and Mark Fogarty. Starting with Briar, Tony is hinting at five races overseas. Is that too many? No way. <laughs> I say this because, um, I mean, it's all about expanding V8 supercars on, on a global scale. Uh, and as we talked about before, I mean, uh, half of the fans, more than half of the fans, don't go to any of the other races outside of their state. So they're watching those other rounds on TV. So what does it matter if it's happening across Australia or across the world? Um, and at the same time, you're exposing the category to a much wider audience. I mean, I, I think it's a great idea. Uh, you know, there's been some locals who have turned up to Abu Dhabi and, and you know, it's just reinforced that, that it's just a great idea. It, it's exposing it to more people. I, I really can't see it being an issue. I, I think it's great, especially if we are racing on circuits like Abu Dhabi, Bahrain. You know, there's real great, awesome circuits that we just don't have in Australia. I mean... The facilities over here are second to none, and in Australia, a lot of it's going downhill. So I just think it's a really good idea. Five is too many. Um, and also, when I last looked, they had uh, VA Supercars Australia um, had an agreement with CAMS that uh, no more than four of the championship races would be held um, outside Australasia, if you like. So unless that's changed, I don't know um, how Tony can say that they're going for five. Well, um, you've got... Uh You've got two in the Middle East. You've got one in New Zealand. That's three yeah. already. So I guess you're yeah, only talking so about one, and I, In fact, outside of Australia, yeah. And, um, so you've already got New Zealand. That's what I mean. You, you've got three. So Singapore's, you know, almost a dead cert in one form or another come 2012 or 13 at the latest. So um, there's your four overseas events. So unless something's changed, I don't see how they can get to five. But as I say... It's possible, and if they could squeeze five out of it, um, that would be a risk, and certainly it would depend on on where. You know, Europe or the United States, you know, don't go there. No. It's not where the series should be, you know. The Middle East, we've got that done. Next stop has got to be Asia, and that's it. So can I just add, I just wanted to say, Craig, as much as I am enthusiastic about five races overseas, it can't be at the expense of the Australian races. I mean, you know, this whole press thing this year, it's a little bit different, but... If, um, if it comes to the point where they're saying, oh, sorry, we're not going here, we're not going there to, to whichever state, I mean, that's when they have to have a rethink. You know, they have to make sure that these five over race, uh, overseas races in future are not at the expense of Australian V8 supercar racing. Well, I was just thinking about New Zealand. New Zealand television programs are now Australian content, so perhaps the New Zealand rounds of the V8 supercar championship are also Australian. Why has it taken so long? to have another night race, folks? Uh, lack of facilities, lack of a venue that can do it, and it's um, aggravated by the fact that back in Australia, um, it's uh, a really difficult thing to do because of um, oh and it's not just lighting the track, which is 
extraordinarily expensive, you know, many, many millions, but you've also got to light, you know, all the, the spectator areas and, and the parking areas so that um, crowds leaving the venue in darkness, you know, don't trip over something and, and hurt themselves. So um, it's not just a matter of putting lights up um, and the expense involved there, but it's just the, the extent to which you have to light the venue. That's how I understand it, and um, that's why it's so difficult to do in Australia. Mm. Oh, well... <laughs> It depends just how long. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about in Australia, it just depends how long it takes to um, to put in these lighting systems into Australian facilities. And I think it's going to take a lot longer than that. I mean, we just simply don't have the money. It's not so much about not having the facility. It's about not having the money. I mean, just for example, Winton Motor Raceway is the first circuit on the V8 Championship that's put in a full course safety lighting system, which is a great idea and really all the other tracks should, should follow suit. I mean, so if we can't have, you know, safety, the best safety uh, infrastructure in place in Australian circuits, should we really be looking at lighting? Um, I mean, yeah, it's just about money. V8 supercars might have to look at chipping in. I don't think they're going to want to do it, but that's what it might take to get a night race. Briar, will Triple Eight be able to maintain this level of success throughout the rest of 2010? Oh, without a doubt. I'm not saying that Jamie Wickup will definitely win the championship, but I mean, just look at the form on the first round to come out like that. There's no reason for a major disaster that Triple Eight won't be able to keep up this momentum throughout the year. Yeah, largely I expect they'll be um, running up the front, but they'll have setbacks. You know, they'll have a weekend like. Well, maybe not as bad, but they'll have a bad weekend somewhere along the line. And I think the true test of how competitive and how dialed in those new team Vodafone Commodores are uh, will actually come um, at Adelaide, you know, in a far different kind of circus. And, um, you know, Jamie Wincup actually, after the race, told me as much. So uh, we'll really get to know who's got the real form when they get back to Australia. All right. Now, do the Middle East tracks have enough atmosphere, folks? Oh, well, certainly the uh, Yas Marina circuit in Abu Dhabi does. I mean, it's just, it's stunning. That's the only word you can use for it. It's just, it is the most advanced, the most sophisticated, the most elaborate motorsport complex in the world. It's it's even overtaken the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which previous to, previously, for me, was still, you know, the most extraordinary motorsport structure in the world. But, no, they've, they've nailed it there. Not so much the uh, Bahrainis National Circuit. It's, you know, architecturally quite interesting, um, but it's just not in the same setting and, and doesn't just, it doesn't have the full-on glamorous appearance that uh, Yes Marina does. I have to say yes and no. I mean, as Frank said, the Abu Dhabi Circuit was just amazing. You had that pit lane exit tunnel. There was the corkscrew. Uh, the track itself was great, but it was maybe a little bit clinical uh, to what we're probably used to back in Australia. Um, so in that respect, I just have to say, yeah, it does have enough atmosphere, but no, it doesn't, if that makes sense. All right, Briar, could we ever see a circuit in Australia like those in the Middle East? No way. <laughs> I mean, we were speaking about this at, at Abu Dhabi. It was just, as I said, can't reiterate enough. It was an awesome track. We just don't have the cash in Australia. Unless uh, some wealthy sheik over here would like to uh, to come over and fund us a track, I just can't see it happening. And, and it's really unfortunate because it was an amazing facility. And if we had something like that in Australia, the fans would just turn out in droves. They really would. Folks? Of course not. The Yes Marina circuit costs the best part of a billion dollars, several hundred millions at least. No government, no enterprise in Australia is going to fund that. 
you know, the Victorian government gets a belting every year because, you know, the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park costs, well, you know, last time it was, you know, cost the taxpayers $40 million. So how do you think they're going to go if someone suggested they spend, you know, $600 million to a $1 billion on a, uh, on a motor racing track? Although having said that, they're quite happy to pump $350 million into revamping the tennis centre, so go bigger. Well, guys, have a great time in the kingdom for what should be a very interesting weekend. I will, uh, as, as we wrap this one up, I have to get, folks, who's going to win? Uh, Tanda. Davidson. I've got Stephen Johnson in my sweep. So as the checkered flag waves over this edition of the V8 Insiders, thanks very much to Mark Fogarty and Briar Gunther. Okay. Thanks, thanks Craig. And you watch the television because they need all the audience they can get. Yes, that's right. Until <laughs> next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.